What's up, guys? This is CJ Finley with the Thrive on Life podcast. I created a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. So if you have a new idea, project, or business that you're working on, and you're feeling a little bit stuck, I'd love to help you or connect you with somebody that can. And today is a day that I've been looking forward to for a while now. The two guys that I have on this podcast make me laugh more than anything else, but they also challenge me to be better in my business and in my life. And it's one of the, they're one of the reasons that we're even sitting here today in Thrive HQ. But before we get into that, I have a specific question for one of these guys. And you might have seen him on social media doing something called a run and rant. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce <laughs> Mr. Joseph Kearns and Mike Alvarez. They're a two-man team of magic marketing. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But before that, I'm putting you on the spot here, Joe. Mm. What the fuck is a run and rant, and how did it get started? Ooh, it's yeah. that kind of podcast, huh? Yeah, oh, we're getting getting right into the old curse words. Yeah. Okay, unfiltered. <laughs> hey, whatever you want to do, whatever floats you, your boat. Well, can you do me a quick favor and just make sure, like, at all times, I'm showing an appropriate amount of chest here? <laughs> just uh... So for those listeners yeah. out there um, oh, yeah. <laughs> that can't see us, we are recording right now, yeah. and these two guys literally show up everywhere dressed I wouldn't say to the nines. It's like a little bit in between, yeah, maybe like event. a five or a six. Yeah. But they, they definitely look better than me with their nice little shoes on. And I'm here <laughs> barefoot with my gym clothes on. But you got some leftover gym mat on the bottom of those feet. So too, this man. is supposed <laughs> to be about a run and rant, not, <laughs> not a rant about my bare feet. That's good. So <laughs> uh, the, the run and rant. Well, uh, it is a uh, publicized stream of consciousness is pretty much that's about it. It really started out just as an accountability thing because I always told myself I'm not a runner. And I was like, well, why am I not a runner? I just need to get out and do it every day and, uh, and hold myself accountable. And thanks to you always giving me shit for not putting anything on social media whatsoever. It's like, all right, this is a good uh, kill two birds with one stone thing. I'll be putting out something every day. And then I habitualize the, uh, the thing I'm avoiding, which is both going on social media and going for a run. And I was like, what am I going to, what am I going to do? I don't just record myself running or doing pushups or something like, no, I'll just rant about stuff, you know, cause that's uh, I talk to myself all the time anyways. So let's just throw a camera up there. And I stumbled into accidentally kind of, I wouldn't say giving advice cause that sounds a little presumptive, but uh, in my past life, I was a resilience trainer with the army and that's like what my uh, graduate education is in. I was like, ah, let's, let's dig that back out again. You know, I'll work on myself and I'll just kind of talk out loud with whatever I was working through for that day, whatever kind of mental, psychological, emotional, business, any challenge, whatever's top of mind, it's kind of like processing in real time. And the thing I love about that is it was 0% premeditated. I just threw the camera up and I was like, what comes to mind immediately? Go stream of consciousness. And I like kind of thinking out loud. And that's how I, I kind of learn how I think, as I vocalize it. So I figured, well, that's not a bad way to kind of share a little bit about who I am and how I think. And then it ended up just kind of slowly growing a little bit. And but I'm not like, I'm not like a thrive influencer here. <laughs> no, but I, I love, I love what you're talking about. And for me, essentially for anybody out there, like you created a keystone habit. Mm -hmm. The habit was the run and rant with the with the run. So a lot of people like I hate running too. So I have to figure out a way. What type of habit can I create that causes me to run? Yeah. And that's kind of like what you were doing. Whereas I need to get out there and I need to talk a little bit more. I'm building this business. I need to do something on social media. What is the lowest barrier to entry? Well, mm -hmm. I could run and do this at the same time. So it's a great 
habit to have. And for anybody out there, please watch his run and runs because they're legit as hell. I'll, oh, I'll back that. You. And one of the first things that you did was you made fun of our buddy Ross. Yeah. On, on like, <laughs> how, what, like, this is what it looks like to be a fitness influencer in Austin and yeah. run around. And yeah. it was absolutely hilarious. But enough of the ranting with the run and rants. Uh, our other guest here is Mike Alvarez. So I'd love to ask you a question. What is your run and rant? So there's got to be something in your life where I guess you're trying to work on or do right now. What would yeah. that be? Something I mean, personally, I've been focusing on is I have always had a lot of reservation about my ability to read. I have actually like a really hard time reading, very slow reader, self-diagnosed ADD with like a hint of dyslexia. It takes me a really long time to read. And for a long time, I would kind of punish myself for it mentally, but also just really avoid it in general. And then, you know, one of the people that has inspired me a lot without ever telling you that is you, like look around. And uh, so something that I've just begun to habitualize is just every single morning, I have like my morning routine. I do like a few things around the house just to kind of get the mind going. And then I'll just sit down and read for 30 minutes to an hour before I exercise. And that even with incremental progress with that, it's it's like just like everything else. It's encouraging. You start to see some some you get some wins stacked under your belt and it's like, oh shit, this isn't that bad. And then you just keep going, get faster and faster. This is a particular reason why the most successful people in the world, all the best CEOs, are like reading a book a week, a book a month, whatever it is. It's because like the way that we obtain information through reading is different than just passively listening to it online or you know through a podcast even so that's been my personal challenge so i love i love that point and that's something that anybody can take from and mike was alluding to the books that we have here at thrive and essentially we run a community bookshelf my wife erin used to yell at me for how many books we had laying around in our house and i couldn't wait to get an office where i can create a bring a book take a book type of atmosphere but what most people don't understand is like i didn't start reading voraciously until probably like 23. Before that, I had the same issue. I'm an athlete, I'm ADHD. A lot of the issues that I had were the way that they told me to read was just not conducive to my lifestyle. It was like, you have to read this book within this month to then write this report. It yeah. was never like, read this book at your own speed and ingest it. And for me today, the thing that I try to work on most isn't like how many books I read, is what am I taking from this book? Mm -hmm. If I'm not taking anything from the book, I'll literally just put the book down and pick up another book. And I think a lot of people, the reason they never really get into reading, they pick the book up and that book just like isn't for them. And they're like, oh, reading sucks. Mm -hmm. Or I'm not good at reading. And yeah. then we don't do things we're not necessarily good at, but we didn't come out of the room running around. We came out of the room and we laid on our back and then we learned how to roll over and then yeah. we learned how to crawl and then so on and so forth. And with reading, it's the same thing. And talking about this, how did you kind of overcome that? Because I think the biggest point for people to take is there's always like an inflection point. So for you, and I'll ask this question to both of you, you for getting on social media and, and speaking, because I challenge you with that, Joe, and then Mike, you for reading that book, what was the day where you're just like enough? And why, if you remember that, why why was it enough that day? So either of you feel free to take that question. But why the first run and rant for Joe? And then like for the reading of the books, why was it like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm not going to self-defeat myself. I'm actually going to start doing this. So, okay. As a way of tying both of them together, I'm also one of those people that hates running. And so 
Joe doing all his running rants like got me to start running and you know I'm not like a world-class runner at all by any means but when it comes to running I don't have like that particular inflection point that you're asking about but it was just something I decided I was like okay I'm just gonna start running and doing this thing that I really don't enjoy doing that much just to kind of just as an exercise in overcoming resistance or overcoming adversity you know I'm a big believer that the weight that we lift at the gym is really just a metaphor for the resistance we encounter in life. And the more experience you have facing that resistance, the easier it is to overcome these obstacles. So for me, running kind of was the lead domino in that arena of not doing things because of my own limiting beliefs. So I started running. So good. I started running and I was like, yeah, you know, it's like, I'm not great at it, but I'm not dying either. Like it's, it's, it's not that bad. And then it was really just that thought process that carried over into running. I was like, okay, what other areas of my life am I neglecting certain things because I'm getting in my own way? You know, one other thing is I've had a guitar, like I've owned a guitar for the better part of a decade now, and it's just been collecting dust. There we go. Mm -hmm. You know, me too. (laughs) (laughs) It's still collecting dust. Yeah. So that was another thing, you know, I was like, man, I, I, like what I just had a conversation with myself. Why do I have such a hard time picking it up? What's the deal with this? And it was just part of it, I think, is because a lot of us want to shortcut the process, right? We don't want to not be good at something. We want to be good immediately. And when you don't get those results immediately, you're just like, well, it's easy to give up or it's easy to just become kind of disimpassioned and and, and your brain shuts down into this really passive state. So for me, when I reflect on my my quarantine period, I think that that was the thing that I was most grateful for because you can't go outside. You can't distract yourself with going out and seeing friends and doing this and that. So it gave me a lot more reflection time and a lot of time to be introspective and see what areas of my life am I dropping the ball or am I limiting myself from from becoming the version of myself that I want to be. So I hope that answers your question. You basically started momentum somewhere else and it just yeah. like overflowed. Yeah. And then and then it was just like a daily, like, how can I sharpen the saw today? And to piggyback off that, like that's meditation for me because like I always meditated every once in a while and like found forms of meditation, like working out was like one of my forms where I didn't always just lift super hard, yeah. but like it was kind of like my box of meditation. But the quarantine allowed me to be like, all these people keep talking about meditation and the power of meditation. I had no other choice. It's just like, there's nothing else for me to do. I'm just going to wake up and start meditating. And then once I started trying to meditate, I realized like my hips are so tight. I couldn't even get my knees down to the ground. So it became, okay, now I'm going to try and meditate. I'm also going to try and get more flexible. And then, oh, the third thing was a lot of people were writing and I was like, oh, I'm going to meditate. I'm going to try and get more flexible and I'm going to journal. And this is all within 20 minutes at the first part of my day. And I'm like, yeah. you talk to the, about the wins. I'm racking up like three or four wins mm-hmm. every single day. Yeah. And then I get into my day. I'm like, oh my God, this is why everyone's preaching about it because it makes you feel good going into your day. So when I sit down and have my work, I'm like fired up to do my work. The way that I equate it is just like sitting at the starting line of a drag race, right? Like if your car, if you get to the, the starting line and it's like, you have this, Ferrari versus this little like Chevy Equinox and you're the Equinox and like you press the gas and it's like ring ring versus like vroom. Like yeah. I feel like the Ferrari compared to the little Equinox going into my day and I feel like that just overlaps. And that's kind of like, 
I think relating to you where it's like you built that momentum of that one thing and just overflows. But for Joe, because going back, like since we met, we always talk content and you guys are some of the sharpest guys I know. I know you guys know that you should be putting content out there and like getting engaged for you. What was that inflection point of like, you know what, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to run and I'm going to rant about whatever it is and, and really start putting myself out there. Yeah. Um, honestly, I think like so much of it ties back to me to the resistance of getting started, largely coming from perfectionism. Like you said, if you want to do something, you want to do it well, but it stops you from doing it all. And if you're not doing it at all, then you're never going to get good at it. And that's almost a cliche at this point. But the things that kind of sparked that to me is I started adopting the philosophy of zero to one being such a better way to approach everything. Just what takes you from doing nothing to doing anything. And the lower that friction is, you carry that same philosophy through all the way up to level 10, you know? So getting from zero to one isn't that hard, and now you're doing it, which means now getting from one to two isn't that hard. And that incremental gain over time, you have that compounding effect of improvement. And to tie back to Mike's point, like if you start the day that way, you're going to carry that through the rest of every subsequent habit or, you know, desired action you want to take because you build up this like internal dialogue of I'm somebody who gets shit done. I do it. And then it's the, when you habitualize that thought process, you're able to avoid so many of the stumbling blocks. And what you realize, I think, as you start taking more action is, I'm a big quote guy. You guys uh, know Me too, that. so let's hear it. So there's, there's a few that like tie into this that I really like. And there's one from Seneca, and he said, he who suffers before it's necessary suffers more than it's necessary. And we stop ourselves constantly because we think it's going to be so bad to do it the actually 99% of the suffering is in preparation for doing the thing. And then once you do it, it's never as bad as you expect it to be. When you recognize and inhabit that, then you just continually abbreviate that pre-suffering period because it really doesn't give you anything. The only part about it that is ever productive is any kind of like tangible worry. If there's, if there's actual consequences for something, then like, yeah, spend some time prepping ahead of time. But the way that I always approach that is, why am I feeling resistance to this? Am I feeling resistance because it is going against my core values or going against my comfort zone? If it's going against my core values, I should pause. I should look at it and wonder, what do I need to do in this, in this situation? If it's going against my comfort zone, I probably just need to push forward and not think too much about it and just act. That's where like the uh, Mel Robbins five-second rule comes in. You know, if it was like starting a conversation with somebody, if it's going out for the run, you know, the, the whole run and rant thing, there's been so many times where because I never allowed myself that decision of like, well, should I do it today? Should I not do it today? I just do it. And so there's times I'd, I'd forget to do it before I went out that night and I'd go out with friends and we might go out to the bar or go out to see a show or something. And I get home at two in the morning and like, I just walk in the door and put my running shoes on. There wasn't like a question. It was like, well, I didn't do it yet. So I'm just going to do it now. You know, and those are some fun ones. You go out with a buzz, and, like awesome. you're still <laughs> still getting it done. Um, and I think it's because we give ourselves the choice too much. You know, I mean, giving yourself a choice is a choice. You don't have to give yourself a choice. It can just be indoctrinated into your identity. And the more that you believe that I'm the kind of person that, then there isn't the choice about the action. Is this what the ideal version of myself would do? That becomes an immediate response, not a choice. If you can inhabit that type of mindset in everything that you do, then you're just, and this sounds like a little bit, we've kind of had this talk a little bit a couple of times, Mike, 
you're already the version of yourself that is going to accomplish everything in the future, right? You just haven't done it yet. Well, why don't you just start doing it now? Like if you've always wanted to consider yourself an author, well, did you start writing today? Now you're an author. You know, like you do the thing that is the identity that you want to become and then you immediately become that person. I, I love this topic. And one of the reasons I love the topic because it's something that I can relate to on so many levels, but because we're, we're entrepreneurs and we live in this world of the startup space, one of my goals has always been, I want to be a angel investor. And I've talked to many people and they're like, oh, how are you going to do that? And you're whatever. And I'm like, I'm already that. And they're like, well, what the fuck do you mean? And I'm like, well, I saved up some money and I know a couple people that I can help. So I have videographers around me, photographers, interns, whatever it may be. I'm investing in them with no nothing asked in return. Because a lot of angel investing is like, here's some money. I don't know what the hell is going to happen in the next 10 years, but maybe I'll see a massive return on it. So for me, the way I've looked at it is, I want to learn how to invest $1,000 into somebody and see if I judge right on that person's going to be successful in the next five, 10 years. And then by the time 10 years gets, gets ahead and I do have maybe a hundred grand to invest in somebody, I'm not going to waste that hundred grand because I realized how to invest $1,000. So I like broke that down. And one of the ways I break things down is I made up this quote and it's something that I hope maybe someone publishes it one day. And the reason <laughs> that it's fresh in my mind is... Roan, one of the companies I work with, they just reached out and they were like, what's your favorite quote and where are you from and whatever. But one of the things I live by is like the greatness of tomorrow is dependent on the presence of today. Mm. And that's where a lot of people kind of get conflicted because they're always living, especially when you're in the business world, you're always thinking of the future when you're mm. a CEO. You're like, what's down the line? But really down the line is just predicated on action today mm -hmm. and just slow, consistent action today. And you eventually get to that point. So I love your points there. And anybody can take anything from that because we were just talking before this podcast when our buddy Thomas was here about how we're at where we might be at where we thought we would be at or not at where we thought we'd be at, but we're ahead in certain areas that we couldn't foresee, have seen slowly because maybe we start picking that book up and then a year goes by and then maybe we start ranting on Instagram. And because we started ranting on Instagram, someone saw our rant and reached out to us and then said, Hey, I'd love for you to be on this podcast. Wait, that's where we're at right now. Right? <laughs> so that's my point is just like anybody else out there that's listening to this. Yeah. Just start with the lowest hanging fruit. And this is where I'd love to jump into this next topic because you guys grill me on it all the time to prove it methodology <laughs> where you guys were just like proving it to yourselves on this ground level. I'd love to jump into, I consider you guys one of the best marketers in this town, if not the best. Thanks, man. I don't even know how you guys got into marketing. So I'd love for you guys just to go riff on each of your stories of how you ended up maybe in Austin, Texas and becoming marketers because they used to be email marketers, but I, I made that mention before this podcast and they looked at me like, well, we got some things to update you on. So yeah. <laughs> we'll get into that. Um, but how did you end up in Austin, Texas and become magic marketing masters uh, that I know you to be? Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take it from here. Please. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's an interesting story. I'd say if we rewind maybe six years ago, my goal was actually to be a doctor. So I was going down the path. I was working in an ER. Uh, I had worked in an ER for like seven years, something like that. 
decided I don't like medicine. I didn't want to keep going down that Why path. Why did you want to be a doctor? I wanted to be a doctor because that was, that was, if you take like the standard template of what somebody's life should look like, right? You go to high school, you go to college, you get your degree, you get married, you have settled down, have kids, like the whole nine to five, like template of life. When that was my paradigm, that was the logical endpoint. So that's kind of like a, maybe a bit more of like a metaphysical answer. I can explain like the story of me in the Dominican Republic getting bit by a spider and, you know, getting stuck in a clinic and realizing that's where I love medicine. Uh, that's the Cliff Notes version of it, but <laughs> I love um, it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll save that for the next podcast. Uh, so I, I wanted to go, I wanted to get into medicine, and then I, you know, just through the exposure in the field, I had this like persistent experience where I would look around and nobody seemed happy, and that to me was like, well, something's wrong here, you know, because I saw myself in a lot of the people that I was working with, and I was like, well, if 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 they're not happy. Why am I going to dedicate, you know, four years of medical school, three to seven years of residency to then end up in a place where I'm in debt and not happy with my life? So I won't lie. Like it took me a very long time to release that element of my identity and just like start doing something else. But eventually when I did, that decision took me to grad school where I got a master's degree in exercise and nutrition science. That's my graduate degree. That degree I spent a year and a half, two years in the lab, uh, like in the human performance research lab of University of Tampa, where I, because obviously marketing has nothing to do with exercise science and nutrition. But when I look back on that experience, I can take away the fact that that ended up being like a masterclass in critical thinking. That to me is like, I mean, the biggest takeaway, the biggest gift that I got out of that experience. And so from there, ended up working at a startup company, uh, which is where Joe and I met. And then left the startup company. We started our own business. And that whole process, that was you know going on two years now. And the wealth of experience that Joe and I have lived over the last <laughs> two years is like absurd. Like just the density of learning opportunities of failure, which is you know a learning opportunity. To look back on it is awesome just to go through the through the experiences and look back on them. But how did we end up doing marketing? Um, I mean, it, it's weird because I don't even label myself as a marketer. Like what I call myself, and I guess the way that I approach our business is more of like a business developer. Like how do we build and grow businesses? Marketing, in my opinion, is so embedded in the DNA of any business. I think a lot of businesses make the mistake of assuming that marketing is part of their business. Like you have a sales team, you have an engineering team, you have a marketing team. I think that that is absolutely wrong. I think that marketing is is part of like the spirit of your brand. It's 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 what makes it's your identity to the world. It's like every it's handshake, everything, it's how you make someone feel. It's, it's how you show up. It's how you yeah, like everything. It's everything. everything. It's yeah. every touch point. Yeah. What what computer? When someone gets their computer at the beginning of the day, what are they feeling like in your company and how is internal marketing? And I love how you hit on that last point. Cause like, that's what I was like hoping that you would start hitting on is it's so much more than marketing. Yeah. It's, it's because most people think marketing is, Oh, I can just outsource my marketing. I can just outsource my social media. I can just outsource these things that 
these other people, these other experts are going to help me grow my company. And it's like, no, it's a lot more internal than you think. And there's a lot more touch points to it. So thank you for, for getting to that and alluding to that. Cause that hits home with everything thrive where again, if you turn around and it says, feel your passion, like I want people to come in here and be passionate right from the get go. Yeah. Um, but it has nothing to really do with what my marketing strategy is. Even though you guys can write a great marketing strategy, it's more so, and I've worked directly with both these guys. They're super sharp at what they do and are on point with utilizing marketing to grow the business. Um, so I love that answer and I would love to hear from Joe. So you, but before you came from Miami, right? And yeah. flew in from Austin. Awesome. I mean, flew in to Austin. Yeah. Born, um, born and raised in Miami, did grad school in Tampa and then moved here from Tampa. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you, you were supposed to be a doctor and now you're sitting on this $500 couch. What, what happened to you, Living bro? Living life, man. Living <laughs> life. <laughs> it's okay. But I'm happy I'll, to be here. I'll yeah. tell you that. And I can relate so much to the, uh, and that's what matters, the happiness. I can yeah. relate so much with the, I was an engineer and that's where I take from it is that, that critical thinking. And for anybody that's questioning, I, I hate titles. Like that's the thing, but you guys named yourself magic marketing. So that's kind of like why I was like, how did you get into marketing? Um, well, the, but, like the, the, the mother brand is, <laughs> is magic, which is just, Hell yeah. is, our, is a combination of our initials. So Mike Alvarez, it's M A J I K. So Mike Alvarez, Joe Kearns. So it's just magic, baby. It's magic. Mm -hmm. That's Over all here. it is. That's magic, all right. magic let's, Mike. Let's 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 hear from the uh, the jick side of it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds disparaging for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So a uh, little bit of the backstory. I'll keep this like really concise because it's definitely kind of all over the place. So uh, went to undergrad, got a bachelor of kinesiology and a bachelor's of psychology because I knew that you could never separate the mind and the body. And I was really passionate about fitness, knew I wanted to help people in that. Uh, moved to Australia for a few years. Where'd you go to school? I went to school. Well, I went to Washington State University and then I finished both my degrees in Australia at University of the Sunshine Coast, which is about as amazing as it sounds. Yeah, that's... It was actually a kangaroo <laughs> sanctuary. So like, it was, it was ridiculous. Just rub it in, why don't you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was beautiful. So I finished my degrees down there and then I didn't want to come home. So I just decided to start my own. That was my first business I started was in Australia. It was a personal training and nutrition consulting business. And that's where I like started to dip my toe in the water of, okay, like I can make my own money and be accountable to nobody. That was actually huge for me, especially being in another country because like, I mean, I didn't know anybody there. There's no family to support me or anything. You were really, really like starting from scratch. And that wasn't when the entrepreneurial bug hit me, though. That was just in the more autonomy-seeking side of it, where I recognized, oh, this is possible. Like, I can, I can generate my own income. And I really, really enjoyed that a lot. But what I noticed after working with so many clients was, even though I, I knew beforehand that I wanted to also get a degree in psychology because that was so important, anybody who has a bachelor in psychology will know that, like, it's not enough. Like, it goes so much deeper than that, right? You learn surface-level stuff. And... Every single client that I had, even though I was really good at my craft and my skill as a trainer or a nutritionist or anything like that, that was not getting my clients the results. It was when I was able to connect with them on a psychological and emotional level. But the only thing I could lean on was my own natural abilities for that, which is huge. You do need that. But it was frustrating when I just didn't connect with someone on that level. And I was like, there's got to be better frameworks for this. Like, I know there has to be more that I can learn so that I'm empowered regardless of who's in front of me. 
And so I went to school and I got a master's degree in performance psychology. So it's in the realm of like sport and exercise and any aspect of high level performance. And so I did a lot of my graduate research, like my thesis was looking essentially at what different mental strengths are correlated with exercise adherence, despite having risk factors that would lead you traditionally to be thought of as being like low activity, you know, high risk and everything like that. Because most of the research, I mean, the thing that piqued my interest was why, why do we always say that anyone who's two standard deviations away from the mean are the outliers and we exclude that data? You're saying like, no, no, we're, always, we're only going to look at the average. I was like, that's, that's an inherently flawed way to look at it because almost by definition, in my mind, anyone who's two standard deviations away from the mean, like for better or for worse, they might have some kind of really, really compelling characteristics or there might be something we can learn from them. Why would we look at any other high-level performer who is like 10 standard deviations away from the mean and think we have nothing to learn from them? By definition, they are nowhere near the norm. And so I wanted to look at those people. So that's, from my perspective, I was more interested in looking at what factors around human greatness that we can learn from, study, develop frameworks, theories, practical applications, and then bring that back to the middle of the stand. Of, and of then the you can make curve. a new norm. Yeah, there's, there's stuff that we can always learn. Well, and then you can do some running rants about it too. Oh man, can we ever. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, that was what piqued my interest. And so it, in layman's terms... Because like, I understand what you're saying, but in layman's terms, describe kind of like what you just said. What makes great people great? There you go. And there's more to it than just saying they're born with it. That is such an easy way out for people to take. You can't just say people are born with it. Like there's things that we can learn. There's, there's so many people who were, they crafted themselves into something worthy of being idolized or worthy of being uh, looked up to or imitated or, you know, in some way respected. And that doesn't mean, I mean some people are, you know, born with gifts that, that we're not going to have, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater here. Like, let's see what we can learn. And the more I studied that, the more I recognized, man, there's a real science to this. There's, there's a huge science that we can use to elevate humanity on an individual and collective level. And it has to do with transferring that knowledge in a way that's not just digestible and certainly not just motivational, but practical and applicable. That's what I needed with my clients. You know, I mean, I'm, I was planning on still working in a lot of those populations at the time. So I wanted to find something like, what would I have been able to use on the fly? You know, they give me a little bit of raw material with something they say, I can dig down, understand where that's stemming from, and then provide an immediately actionable solution, shift their mindset, not just give them some raw, raw speech, but point out, Hey, this actually is the symptom of this problem. Let's talk about that. And the deeper I went into that, the more I got really interested in, well, where does that apply with the highest stakes and the most consequences? And so while I was in grad school, I started applying the performance psychology frameworks. There was a naval ROTC section on campus, and I literally became the mental resilience trainer for the commander on campus. This was a guy who'd been in the Navy for like 40 years and was managing all this. And I just dove deep with him. And I was like, okay, I like this. Like, th There's real stakes here. So I decided I was going to go after grad school, be a master resilience trainer, performance expert for the army. Basically, your job is to teach psychological and emotional resilience to soldiers, pre-deployment, intra-deployment, post-deployment. And so I did that and I was traveling around the States uh, to all different installations. I was actually supposed to permanently set up a training center in Korea. And so I was always going over there and doing trainings for a month at a time. And just every time North Korea would 
uh, do their shenanigans. <laughs> it just got harder and harder with that. So I just mostly did stateside and then traveled abroad. But after doing that for a while, I was able to get a ton of experience and recognize how impactful and powerful it is when you can translate those through. Even And soldiers are resistant to this stuff. So I was like, I like that I'm learning how to apply this to a population that's not bought in at all. That makes me have to be really, really, really spot on as a trainer to like cut through the filters and the BS and get down to something tangible because it's undeniable. The things that we love doing in marketing, it's like, regardless on if you want to believe it's true, we're going to show you that it is. You know, that's how you overcome the resistance of things. And I had to do that on a daily basis. And then after doing that for, for quite a while, I just recognized that my ability to do that and to make an impact with people was being so abbreviated through that channel. Like you don't have very much autonomy when you're working for, you know, the army. Like you kind of have to really play by their rules a lot. Structure. Like I was, it's very, very structured. And Mike and I are both like huge autonomy seekers here. You know, I was like, I know there's a better way that I can do this. And I hate knowing there's describe, a better way. And describe autonomy. Autonomy is a sense of self-directedness. You're choosing your path. Nobody else is going to tell you how to do it because, and not for like a rebellious, I'm stubborn kind of way, but it's because you know that the only way to give the best of yourself is to not play by anybody else's rules. We're, we're not, a, I mean, neither one of us believe that the rules as we see them are inherently true. Anything that exists in the world is because somebody else said it was that way and then you decided to believe it and play by their rules. I have no interest in doing that. I think that what I can give to the world is going to be so much more impactful if I decide the conditions in which I get to make that impact. And that was what set me off. I said, okay, I can't do this for the army then. I need to do this for myself. And so I went back and I took everything that I had learned and decided the only reason that's, that what we know about everything in performance psychology and exercise psychology, behavior sciences, like all of those things are stuck in academia because nobody's taking it and actually translating it through in an applied way that we can get out at scale in the private sector. And so this this is how I got into marketing. So this is where it's going to tie together. Yeah, I'm waiting. This is supposed to be the short version, huh? Yo, right? Well, he stirred <laughs> this me is, I mean, I'm, I'm locked in. I'm this is amazing. <laughs> so when I got to that point, I thought, well, then that's just a matter of creativity and resourcefulness. And one of my core values is resourcefulness always matters more than resources. You know, there's a quote that we talk about that never underestimate the ability of a small, passionate group of people to make a change in the world. In fact, that's the only group that ever has. And I didn't nail it, but that's close. It's a Margaret Mead quote. I was like, well, then that's on me. Like, I'm the one who has this knowledge and I can do something with it. So how do I get it out at scale? And of course, I started doing the unscalable, doing like in-person live workshops, testing my ideas and my curriculum live, getting feedback, taking that and then figuring, well, how can I expand that out? And really, my, where I got my core start in marketing was using marketing technology to create essentially like a digital coach that would dispense tailored exercise psychological theory and techniques on an individual basis to gym members just because that's what marketing technology allowed me to do. So instead of selling people on a product, I was selling them on an idea. And that's really all that marketing is anyway. So I didn't I was accidentally becoming a marketer because if I can get people purely through an automated set of messages, that's tailored messaging. If I can get those people to exercise, which is one of the most difficult things to get anybody to do is like eat healthier and exercise. If I can do that on autopilot, because that's how compelling my messaging is, I'm going to crush it at marketing. Are you kidding me? So like that, that was the core foundation. I had no, I had no idea I was going to go into marketing, 
But that started working so well that the gyms I was working with on that side of it, like, man, can you help us with our marketing and our sales and, you know, operations? And that just kind of, you know, scaled itself out from there. And really everything that got me to where I am today was recognizing the most effective thing that you can be is a compelling and clear communicator. And I honed the hell out of that craft by having only the intentionality of benevolently changing someone's behavior for the better. If that's what you come into marketing with, if that's your approach to marketing, then you don't feel like a sleazy salesperson. Have something you believe in, be able to communicate that in a concise, clear, and compelling way, knowing all the while that if you do that, you're going to change their life for the better. People will buy into that, and you're going to build a stable business around it. And like that's literally what got us to where we are today. Man, that's awesome. Like it's hard to keep my attention for that long, but it, it's just like beauty coming out of his <laughs> mouth. It's poetry. Like, man, it's like poetry. Yeah. You're you're so I mean, you weren't concise with that one, but compelling. <laughs> not, like, I didn't compelling. say I'm a good one to be concise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Com- definitely compelling and you got me one in the buy already. So it's like, if I didn't know you, um, that was super good. And and thank you guys both for, for answering that. But I'd kind of like to flip this conversation on its head because we've all been through the ringer. And one of the reasons that, again, Thrive even exists is, well, this office even exists is because one day in, I think, November, um, October, November, I had a long day and I had a meeting with uh, Joe and Mike and they literally just come to me, like, I'm, I'm like blabbering and going off on so many different tangents and they're just like, look at me like, what the hell are you doing? And like, just <laughs> question after question after question. And usually I recommend to people, like don't judge people by what they say, judge people by the questions that they ask. And you guys ask amazing questions of other people um, and of in businesses. And it got me thinking and I went home and, and talked to my wife and then we stumbled upon like, what was the next thing for me? And that was like getting this office, getting more in the community and growing and co- cultivating my own community, not just helping other people do it. And there was a lot of ups and downs going through that. So you guys didn't just stumble upon Austin, Texas and get here and start this business and get all these opportunities that you're having today. For each of you, what are some of the hardest things that you've had to endure through marketing, business, Mike getting away from thinking you were going to be a doctor and then completely pivoting? What are some of those things that can relate to other people that might be compelling for them to, to take the, the jump and the leap, even though it's going to suck and there's going to be some hard points? Yeah. Uh, two things immediately come to mind with that question. Uh, the first one was kind of what I alluded to before about having to, for seven years at least, I'd say like so much of my identity was around being a doctor, you know, like to the point where my friend's parents were calling me Dr. Mike and like the priest at my high school was like, oh, Mike, where, like, when's medical school happening? Like everybody knew me as that. And so I, personally, I don't want to say that I, you know, I was like just doing it to, to please them, but to, to, to an extent I was. And so making the transition out of what people expected of me and into not what I expected of me, but what I wanted from life. 
you hear it all the time, man, but it's way easier said than done. And that was, that to me was like a really tough transition because, you know, you're kind of finding yourself along the way. And, and for me, it was like the, the resistance came because I knew I didn't want to do that, but I also didn't know what opportunities were available to me and what I, what I wanted to You don't know do. what you don't know. Exactly. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was like, I don't want to go to medical school, but if I do that, it's a good job, good opportunities. I can go anywhere in the world. They need doctors. You walk into any room and people respect you. Like there were a lot of parts of it that I liked, but the the day in and day out part of it just didn't really appeal to me as much as I hoped it would. So uh, having to having to release that part of my identity because that's really what it felt like was was a really you know it was a tough part. But that was you know we said it earlier. Like you just have to start. You just have to take that leap and make a move. And so for me, I'd say that's the first thing that comes to mind in terms of like, I mean, the biggest decision I've ever made in life was 2015, deciding I've had enough. And then I applied to grad school, not because I had any, you know, grand visions of becoming like the best personal trainer in the world or the best, you know, nutritionist or exercise scientist in the world. It wasn't that. It was just, I was interested in in exercise and nutrition the whole time in the process of going to medical school. And like, the only reason I got my grad degree was because I was like, I just need something else. And that's just the next step. Yep. That was like, don't think 10 years from now, think like 10 days from now, where am I going to be? Like, you can control that a lot more. Uh, so I'd say that was that was one thing. And then the other thing, which I'm sure you'll appreciate, is how I learned my own catchphrase, which I know you're a big fan of, um, the prove it mentality. So again, through the process of getting my, my grad degree, you know, you, you work with people in like the nutrition space and the fitness space. And uh, when Joe and I eventually kind of went off and, and started doing our own thing, based on the entire collection of life experience that I had. If you were to say, Mike, you have 10 seconds to come up with a business idea that's, that has to work. Like, what is it going to be? Again, just based on my life experience, <laughs> I would have said meal plans. People need, <laughs> people love meal plans. Yeah. <laughs> and so one of our, one of our, one of our first ideas that we, that we got into was, I won't get into the details, but essentially trying to sell meal plans. And Again, based on my own intuition, I was like, this is going to work for sure. We went all in. We sprinted. We put up the website, did all the stuff, put it, put the offer in front of like a very qualified market and sold zero. <laughs> like not only did we sell zero, we had like, we were like asking people like, are you interested in this? And nobody said yes. Like it was, it just fell as hard on its face as you can imagine. And that was. And when was this? This like was, yeah, a couple of years ago. <laughs> and so <laughs> I would say like that to me was like, man, okay, it's not that simple, right? You can't just rely on intuition and experience to make good business decisions. It's, it requires something else. And so I kind of relied on my experience in grad school where I was like, I was a scientist. I mean, I've, I've published research and you can't just like, oh, I have this idea that I want to test and it's going to be cool. I mean, I, I can, that's another rabbit hole I can go down with like, you know, how my mentor, not in any like bad or disrespectful way, but there's like one specific memory where I can recall, I was like in front of a classroom presenting my idea. And I was like, this study design is going to be revolutionary. I mean, people are going to look back on in history and be like, <laughs> this is the day Mike Alvarez showed up, you know? <laughs> 
And all I can remember is after pitching my study design, he's, he goes, uh, doctor, doctor, I'll, I'll shout him out because he's, he, like, I wouldn't be who I am without this guy, but, uh, Dr. DeSouza of, uh, of the university of Tampa, after I give this pitch, <laughs> I remember him looking in the, in the back. He's like, Mike, what you said makes no sense. That's not going to work. <laughs> and all I remember was like, there was like a projector, like presentation and all this stuff. And I was in front of the classroom. And I just remember like, like getting all lightheaded, like the projector light in my eye. And I was like, oh man, what is happening? So you go from like being on top of the world to like, to like you're starting to sweat bottom. and shrink and yeah, like, like about to pass out. Like this was serious. And it was, it was so humbling, but it, it like the, 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 the wisdom that I took out of that was how important it is to like, do your due diligence and like, like, are you answering the question you're looking for and all this, you know, all the, all the elements that make up, you know, just critical thinking. And so took that experience and applied it to business. And it's like, okay, how do we prove it? I mean, my experience isn't a valid business. It's a hypothesis. So how can we prove it? And so that began the obsession with the craft of, of customer development and business development. And that's why it's kind of hard for me to describe myself as a marketer because it feels so limiting. You know, marketing is just the entry point. How do we get a conversation going? That's how we started with you was like talking about marketing and how can we, how can we help your business out? But then, you know, as you know, it, it, it unravels into a conversation about analyzing the hypotheses that your business is built upon and, and and I love this point, and I don't want to cut you off, but it's like directly you. related to thrive. Yeah. I use the word; it's like a keyword. It's like systems. Yeah. Like people are always like they always have problems and they need systems built. But like when I get in and help companies, it's more about like core values and mission. Like what the hell are you actually trying to do? Yeah. You can't build a system if you don't know what the hell you're trying to do. 100%. So we have to. I have to use the word system of like yeah, that's what I help you with. But like we're gonna start somewhere completely else, and you guys do a magical job of nice. hey magic marketing of doing <laughs> the, the the same exact thing but yeah. just in a in a different world. And I want to hit on the point of you wouldn't be able to prove it today if you didn't fail in that point and like almost pass out then. <laughs> and that's where even going back to the beginning of his conversation and like the run and rants and just starting, you get better and better and being like, you know what, if I fall on my face in this time, like, like this is how I think of things now. If I fall on my face now, let's have it on camera. Mm -hmm. Like just own that shit. Versus you used to like shrink and want to like run away. Yeah. I've like leaned into like, if I'm going to fail, like I want it to be like, it's going to be flames up in the air <laughs> and we have it, we have it caught on camera so we can yeah. make fun of me and all these <laughs> other things. And you just own it. And you basically, if you're the one that's owning your problems and owning your faults, no one can hold them against you. And it's actually a learning lesson for other people out there. And they'll actually DM you and reach out to you more because you show that failure. And that's mm -hmm. where for you guys, like leaving this conversation, you do a good, great job of it behind the scenes. But if you could showcase that in your business and in your social media, like these stories, like, man, people are going to reach out to you and be like, man, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. And like, you just gave me the power to step into this other arena and be like, fuck it. I don't care what's, what's going to happen. He sounds like he's having a great life. So again, thank you for sharing that. And that's such a good point for people to hear around when you fail, it usually turns into your special sauce later on down the line. Yeah. Like when I think back to my story and sitting at a desk job 
and transitioning into personal training as well in this health side of things, it was relatively similar where I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And the special sauce comes later on down the line from just tripping and falling. So for Joe, what did that look like necessarily for you? Did you end up passing out telling one of your crazy long compelling stories? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like what, what it was part me, the one that passed out hearing. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> So what, sorry, what part of the journey do you want me to talk about here? Uh, no, it's anything that can relate to like, you're obviously really good at what you guys do and you didn't get that way by just showing up just like we've been talking. Right. What were some of the struggles that you can just think of in your head that kind of alluded to you being mm. who you are today sitting here? Uh, falling out of love with my ideas is probably the first thing because to Mike's point about everything's a hypothesis, well, if you're in love with a hypothesis that's repeatedly proven to be false, you're not going to make any progress. And so, so many people just keep trying to prove it over and over and over again, rather than taking the data that they got and then just shifting it slightly in the direction of what is working. And then you actually end up eventually where you wanted to go anyways. You know, there, there's many, many paths to greatness, but people look at the one that they thought from the beginning is going to get them there. And that's not it. That's why I, I always love pulling it back to what are you actually working towards? Because people will have this surface level idea, right? They think it's like the top of the mountain, but it's, it's not at all. Because the reason they even came up with it is because it's what they heard. It's somebody else's rules. It sounds like the thing that they're supposed to do. They convince themselves that they're in love with it, Meanwhile, they have no idea what the day-to-day -day of that would even look like if it did work. Give us an example. So like, let's just say, for example, somebody thinks like, oh, I want to start a uh, membership site. Like, I hear this kind of stuff all the time. People are like, I want to start a membership site because then like, I can have this recurring revenue and I can have blah, blah, blah. I'm like, cool. Do you know what the day-to-day -day looks like if you were to succeed at that? They're like, well, I don't know. I blah, blah. They don't really have just any, any thought process. With the, with the agency. Sorry? With our own experience with, with an agency. Yeah, I mean, our experience with the agency, you know, I won't, like, we can get into that another, another day, but the point being, like, you, you're thinking about the one positive, potentially positive element of that divorced entirely from the reality that comes with it. So if you think, like, oh, this is the thing I want, because, for example, we hear it all the time, like, recurring revenue. So people bring up a business model, convince themselves that that's the idea they want to pursue, and that they pretend like they're passionate about it, until you break down, okay, this is what you actually have to do every single day if that succeeds. And they're like, well, that sounds terrible. Exactly. Yeah, because all you were thinking about is, like, the one part of the idea you get so embedded in your mind that you just completely let all of the reality just wash right away and you just get married to that one concept. Rather than starting with saying, what is it about like passive income or recurring income? Why is that so exciting to you? Well, because then I would just, uh, I wouldn't have to worry about money every month. I'd know I have money coming in and I can just focus on doing things I love. Okay, why is that so important to you? You know, if you could spend your time focused on what you love. Well, because I'm so stressed out about everything right now. I wake up every day. I hate going to work. You know, I can't even imagine a life where I could just wake up and actually learn new things and do all this. Like, okay, that's what you want. Like, you need to find the business model that aligns with the day-to-day -day that you just described. Not with the, well, then I can make a ton of money. I can retire and I can live on the beach. Nobody actually wants that. You know, that's not what you're really gunning for. So I have people all the time that we'll talk to and, you know, they're trying to figure it out, right? You either have one idea, you're married to it for the wrong reasons, or you're trying to figure it out. So where was this in your journey? 
Uh, I mean, to a lot, get of, the, you to a this lot point. of the client work on the implementation side, honestly, we got because of my my start uh, where I came through with marketing, I learned all the technologies really, really well, like to a very high degree. And the downside is like I am, I would say, incredibly proficient at the technology side, but that's not my zone of genius. Like that's not what I was put here to do. But because I was really good at it and I could make people a lot of money with it, the opportunities kept coming and it kept me rooted in that lifestyle because I kept saying yes, because it was more money than I had made anywhere else. And I, at that time, attached that one metric as the sign I was heading towards where I was meant to go. You said yes to good, but that hides great for your definition of great. Yeah. And it depends what you even consider good. You know, I mean, it was, it was getting me towards that foundational level of the pyramid, you know, like financial stability or what I wanted, which is important. You do have to have that. Like that's essentially, you have to have that embedded within any business or any, anything that you're doing in life. But I allowed it to pull me further and further off track because I was so myopically focused on that metric that it actually wasn't on a parallel path. It was diverging further away from where I wanted to go. And it wasn't until I recognized that every yes down this path wasn't just keeping me away from the path I was supposed to be on. It was getting me further away from even seeing it. You know, like if, if a ship is one degree off when it sets sail, by the time it gets to its destination, it's a hundred miles away. And that's what I was doing every day was allowing that one degree off, one degree off, one degree off. And that's, that's a compounding, terrifying reality when you recognize a year later, how the hell did I let myself get here? Even if I'm financially better than where I expected, um, I can't even like, even with binoculars, I can't see where in the hell I thought I was going to be, <laughs> you know? And that was a huge, huge realization for me is you have to come up for air often enough to see if you're even going in the right direction. And then if you are, then put your head back down and keep working. It doesn't need to be a daily thing because then you're just in this, well, is this perfect? Like, should I be doing something different? Then you never make progress. You're always building bridges and none of them get to the other side. So us, it's had to be some really tough discussions that we don't always agree on the business until we get to the core of it and we recognize, oh, the core of it, we always agree. Because the top of the pyramid, that's the part that we always agree on. And that's why when there's infinite paths to greatness or to that like self-actualization, well, that's great. That means we have no fear in being dynamic in how we get there. It's always a little bit of a compromise. We're like still saying, okay, is this moving where we want to go? Yes. What about it is? What about it isn't? Are we playing by somebody else's rules and not realizing it? And that's what's keeping us over here? Oh shit, let's release a few of those. And by the way, like anytime you want to do that, I feel like we say it so categorically that we're like Tony Robbins. And it's like some massive action, you know, like change everything you know about everything. It's like, that's not productive either. Like there are good things about what you know right now. Test it. If you think maybe this is true, like it's, it's a belief that you've been holding on to, or it's, you know, I keep referring back to the rules because so much of it feels like that. You're like, well, I thought this is how you're supposed to do it, right? Just test to see what if that's not true. And only test if there's not already other data available, right? Because if you, for example, think like, oh, there's no way I could make $1,000 an hour. Really? Well, is somebody else making $1,000 an hour? Why can you not also do that? Are they smarter than you? Do they have some different cognitive faculties than you did? Like, If you can find examples of people who essentially prove your hypothesis, cool. You don't need to test that. Just believe it and act in accordance with it now. If you don't have data, conduct a little experiment. Test it out. Get outside your comfort zone and do it. Because so often, the, like just the way that you test a business, you can test your beliefs. 
get out there, put them through the ringer in a small little system. It's called systematic desensitization when it comes to fears, right? If you're scared of heights, don't jump out of a plane for your first test, right? <laughs> but maybe like walk out to the balcony and practice your breathing. Just get used to the fact that every little incremental step in the right direction, you can continue to move upwards. So business, it's an easy way to do that. Because it's like, oh, you think this is a, a business model that's going to work? All right. What's the riskiest assumption? Let's test it. Did it work? No? Great. You didn't invest five years into something that was never going to work. You have this belief. Well, I could never make $1,000. What are you making right now? 30? Let's see if you can make 40. Right? Just break outside of the zone. Just every little thing is proof. And the more that you build your self-esteem around your capacity to step outside of your comfort zone and test those beliefs, now you're in control of building your own self-esteem every single day. That's so much more of a powerful way to approach any of this. Yeah, that's, I mean, so much power in, in that response. And I love how you ended that with, and relating all the way back to this entire conversation, a lot of it, I think, just relates to building self-esteem. And that's, even when you're talking about marketing, it's building the self-esteem enough to even market yourself in the right way. Because mm -hmm. a lot of people, I love that one degree difference because a lot of people, they're, what they want to do isn't aligned in their marketing strategy or what mm -hmm. they're doing marketing. They, they're saying they want one thing, but then the marketing side of it, and this is where I deal with a lot, they're like, oh, I want to be a million dollar coach or I want to be a, I want to run a million dollar business. And I'm like, well, are you even $10,000 business yet? And it's like, no. And I'm like, okay, well, let's get to 10,000 first. How do we get to 10,000? Break down that assumption first. And a lot of it is the self-esteem of it's much easier to say, oh, I want to be a million-dollar coach than I'm going to be a $10,000 coach, a 20,000, a 30,000. I'm going to put the work in to get to that point. Nobody wants to say that. They just want to say, oh, I'm working on this thing. I want to be this rather than saying I'm going to be. So like that's been a huge transition in my life is like, even with this podcast, I am going to run a podcast that's going to change people's lives and help people better their lives, no matter what. It had nothing to do with like what you were pointing at earlier, which is like numbers, passive income and recurring income. It's like, no, I'm going to make an impactful podcast and I'm going to have an assumption. I'm going to test assumption. Okay, let's get people on. Let's see if people start responding to it. If people don't respond to it. Okay, what do I have to tweak so people start responding to it? You make a podcast that people start responding to, they start liking, they start sharing it. Okay, well, then you're going to start seeing the results that you wanted to have, which is maybe I get paid one day to do it, or maybe I get paid to have guests on here and things like that. But I think a lot of people struggle with, and I think it relates back to our education system where it's like, take this test, get this grade right? Like study for the test, get the grade. Life doesn't work like that. Like there is no study guide. You have to create and make the study guide yourself and make those hypotheses. And that's what I love how you guys approach business more from like a scientific approach, because that's where going to engineering school, like a bridge wasn't allowed to have a crack. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because we're in this phase now with like Black Lives Matter and the and the police and whatever. Like you can't have a bad police officer. Like it's just not a lot. You can't have a bad doctor. You can't have a bad beam in a bridge because it's gonna cost lives. Like so the way I had to go through things was testing things on such a small level to then get to that million dollars. Versus I think a lot of people in reality, they think the person that got to the million just ended up one day getting the million. It's like, no, they started just like where we were. And I love how you guys broke down everything in this, but unfortunately we got the get towards wrapping up. So I'd love to end it with, what are you guys working on today 
because I don't even know what the hell you're working on today. It's mm. been a, it's been a minute. We're going through quarantine. What are you working on today? And then the two part to that is what type of clients would be great for you? So that way anybody else listening out there can kind of see themselves and if they'd be the right people to reach out to you. I'd love to actually use what we were just talking about as a segue into that because I think mm-hmm. there's like a nice bridge to keep your metaphor going. <laughs> Let's um, go. <laughs> so just on the subject of of both taking risks and believing in yourself and kind of tearing down the the limiting beliefs that exist in your life and that prevent you from kind of moving forward into, you know, the direction you want to take your life. Something we realized was that without ever expressly saying it, we were pigeonholing ourselves in that role of implementation with a lot of our clients. And when we kind of came up for air, as Joe said, we realized like, man, this isn't really the thing that gets us the most fired up. The thing that gets us the most fired up is, is actually thinking on a way higher level than that, right? Strategically, 10,000 foot view down. And really, ideally, the goal was to get paid to think, right? To help businesses optimize their systems, optimize their customer development, their messaging, like top to bottom, move in that direction. And our limiting belief in our own business was that that is not achievable yet, right? That's three years down the line, five years down the line. And we had all of this mapped out. Like this is through, you know, a lot of discussions that we had because it's important when you have, you know, a co-founder to make sure you're aligned on on the direction you're heading in. You know, and that's something that Joe and I, like I really appreciate about Joe and the way we work together is like, that's something that, that comes up very often because it's important to just stay on track. And so we kept saying like, man, it would be awesome to help coach people, but it's going to happen, you know, a year down the line, two, three, four, five years down the line. Even when you see me doing it on the daily, come on, guys, you guys are <laughs> yeah. way sharper than I am. Let's go. Well, but, <laughs> but but that's the thing about limiting beliefs is that it's hard. Like they're so embedded in your in like your psychology that it's you're not just like walking around fully aware, or like fully aware of 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 your limiting beliefs and how you limit yourselves, how you tell yourself, you know, in your own internal dialogue, like I can't do this or I can't do this yet or this will happen when you know, fill in the blank. And so we just decided, first of all, through interest and people reaching out to us, we started realizing like, man, there's actually something to this. You know, there's people that are willing to pay us to think, to help them optimize their business or to help them, uh, you know, put together a digital course and kind of go through the proper stages of customer development so that you have a product that solves a problem for your audience. So I guess I'll, I'll, I'll try to set it up to you so we can both kind of touch on this, on this little wrap part. But I wanted to make sure that, that I touched on that because that's the biggest growth that I'll, I'll speak for myself, but I think it's, it, it applies to both of us in our business over the last month or two has been stop telling yourself this is going to happen. I want this to happen a year from now or two years from now. Ask yourself, can it happen now? Right now. Have can you heard the Tony now? Robbins quote, turn... Decades in the days. Mm-hmm. Just did a run around on that yesterday. Oh, <laughs> the timing is perfect. I'll have to watch it. Still up? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Might be, yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, another quote. Let's go for it. Send it. Uh, I don't know why I want to say George Bernard Shaw. It might not be, but it says, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive because what the world needs is more people that have come alive. I love that quote. And we start asking ourselves that so much more often. We recognize the thing that makes us come alive that we had been doing for free for years and that we would get wrapped up in is like the conversations we have, 
you know? I mean, we, we absolutely love everything about helping other people's vision turn into a viable business. Because when you help other people live the dream, like that is our dream. And when you help other people thrive, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that is your dream. That's why we resonate with you right away, man. I love it. This is awesome. music to my ears. So, with that, the thing that we recognized is we had been so stuck in our zone of competence, like the thing we were good at, that we were never allowing ourselves the space to be fully present and help the people that were right in front of us. And our unique gifts allow other people to express theirs exponentially. And that's the impact that we feel collectively like we're uniquely suited to bring into into the market into the world into our community right now and the ability to do that so quickly and make a difference in people's lives has only been like geometrically reinforced the more that we lean into it so as we push away these rules right now about where we have to be stuck we've allowed ourselves to really give fully and completely to the people in our lives that need help on this stuff. This doesn't come naturally to everybody. You know, I mean, if you haven't been thinking this way, it's, it's not just outside of the box. Like it's not even in a shape or form. Like it doesn't, you know what I mean? It's case by case. It's so case by case. And so that's what, that's what we've been leaning into so, so, so much more. And, uh, putting that framework into much more tangible, solid terms so that we can accelerate the results and, our, our core value is not just to do it for you, but to teach you. How do we take what's in our head and put it into a framework and a system that you can learn, you can execute, and then you can go share that with people? That's like the virality of ideas is what honestly changes the world. And if we can help impregnate the capacity within so many well-intended people to give them something that actually turns that idea into something that they can execute and indoctrinate other people into that vision, then we're doing what we're meant to do power that's some powerful stuff right there and i love it because man you guys are you're built for this path that you're that you're going into the coaching i saw joe and mike gave a presentation here one of the first presentations we had at the hq when we were getting it up and rolling they absolutely annihilate it we had a room full of a lot of heavy hitters here in in austin texas and they crushed it so that was my first sign that like this is really what you guys need to be doing um thanks man even though there's a lot of other skills and technologies that you can help with, um, you're better suited being in front of people and and helping the masses get further ahead. So I'll be waiting to see some of this content. If you're talking <laughs> about being coaches now, like you need to be there putting some go. stuff out. Like I wanna I wanna see this. Um, so I'm very much interested in seeing that. Before we wrap up, uh, real shortly, anybody that's listening, what type of person should be reaching out to you? I'd say if if you've been struggling to take something that you know you can provide value to your community and you, you're still figuring out how to turn that into the most viable version of a business that can support you and deliver the value to your audience, that's where we can help brainstorm. If you're still like in that early stage of like really figuring out what it is you want to do, I'd say you need some more exploration in that point. And that's where we love pointing people in the direction of some great books and some great resources to really kind of get your, uh, to get your mindset around what's possible and how to like refine your idea. We love when somebody has an idea, they know that they can deliver value. Usually it's coaches, consultants, infopreneurs, people that are trying to sell their, their knowledge and their experience and package that up into something, whether it's a digital course, whether it's a coaching program, but somewhere where you're hands-on serving your community and you're basically turning your mission and your message into something providing tangible value. That's what we like to help with.
spot on, man. Like I'm still in awe with your compellingness when you speak. I need to take some courses on that because um, <laughs> we're going to be launching a course and potential mastermind here in the fall. So it's something that we'll be chatting with you guys about and I'm really looking forward to it. But before we end this podcast and this conversation, it was very, very enlightening on my end and I can't wait to release it to everybody else. Where can people get in contact with you at? It's the easiest way. Uh, magic.co, M-A-J-I-K.co. That's at least going to be the central hub because we will be putting out more content, probably on LinkedIn specifically. Uh, so you can follow us on there. The Run and Rants are on my Instagram, which the handle is literally what Facebook generated for me based <laughs> on my email. <laughs> so it's Joseph F. Kearns. It is absolutely not compelling at all. But uh, Joe Devation was taken, so I couldn't switch it over to that. <laughs> and where can they find you, Mike? Uh, my Instagram is Mike, two underscores, Alvarez, another underscore. <laughs> Social media gurus over here. Work in progress. <laughs> it's got to um, be Magic Mike, bro. Come I know. On. Magic Mike. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Let, I'm, with, I'm having a hard time stepping into that branding, but... <laughs> Not with how unbuttoned your shirt is right now. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. you started off the episode... With the Magic Mike, that's true. Persona. That's true. So I'm surprised. I'm surprised my shirt's been been on until now. Just so. like, yeah, just like, <laughs> just like we've been talking about. You're taking one inch steps towards that Magic Mike yeah. persona. Yeah. But again, thank you guys so much for coming Our on pleasure, the episode. Man. I pleasure. know you guys are super swamped and everything and helping people. And it's just every time to be in your presence is is amazing. I learn something new every every single every single time. And anybody that's out there. This is an episode where I highly recommend reaching out to these two gentlemen. They're always down to help. They've helped me in numerous amount of ways in, in life and in business. So ping them, DM them, email them, hop on Joe's newsletter. If you thought he had compelling words coming out of his mouth, just wait till you see his copy because it's oh, a yeah. uh, world class. <laughs> hey, and some of the takeaways from this episode is don't be afraid to leave your old titles behind. So whatever it is that you're working on right now, if there is something else that's pulling at your heart. Uh, don't wait 10 years to, to put that together. Maybe reach out to us and let's figure out how we can do it this year um, and then get you on the right foot. And then the other thing is that self-esteem. So if you're able to take that first step or work on that first little project, get some momentum under your belt, you're going to have a lot more self-esteem. And that's the first step kind of to recreating your new and improved self. So thank you guys again for hopping on. This is CJ Finley with the Thrive On Life podcast. Thrive on y'all. 